Father God, thank you for this time and for these amazing people and for some amazing journeys that we have all been on that have brought us to this particular point. We ask for your presence to continually guide us and lead us into the pathway that you would have us to go so that your kingdom can be built here on earth as it is in heaven and that more and more of your salvation, your love, and your grace can be experienced by more and more people. And we pray this in your name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Today we'd like to share with you, um, we've been in a series for a while before we got interrupted with some other things, uh, in a series on Deuteronomy. And today what we thought we would do, we've entitled this Deuteronomy Continued, because even though we've interrupted our series with Jesus Economics, we actually had Justin and Preston a while ago, and Austin Channing Brown, and then last week was Jamar Tisby, for those of you who visited us uh, for that particular event, these events and teachings that we're doing are not so scattered, separate, kind of all over. the. We, we just want to do this, and then we'll do this, and we'll go over here and do this. They're actually very much connected to a deeper stream of reason and purpose and meaning and biblical faith for us. And what we'd like to do is share with you some thoughts and reflections, both on what has transpired over the last couple of weeks, a little bit of some thoughts that we have, Um, but then ground it in our story and our narrative, and we will banter back and forth a little bit because conversation is a high value for us here. We want to make sure that you know that uh, the teachings and the learnings that we do here are not just unidirectional. They are diverse and multidirectional, and we have learned tremendously from you as much as I hope you have learned from us. So over the last couple weeks, here's where we've been. It's been a lot, my friends. We started in Deuteronomy uh, about at the beginning of the year. Um, Like I said, we had Austin Channing Brown. We had Justin and Preston do a conversation around scripture, sexuality, and the soul of Christianity. We finished up a six-week series on Jesus Economics with some um, incredibly special guests, Rolando Zeladon from BCM, John Liotti from AbleWorks, and Pastor Paul Baines from Project We Hope, as well as uh, a local church. And then, of course, our very own Lauren Chan, whose Facebook image depicts her as some sort of costumed cow, which I'm not quite sure exactly (laughs) what that means, but nonetheless. We've also been engaged with local and national news regarding the crisis at our border, um, the rhetoric and the sociopolitical context of immigration, and the challenges that come with all of that. In addition to last week, which was a phenomenal journey and phenomenal presentation by Jamar Tisby on the color of compromise, giving us some history, theology, and honestly, some really nice handholds. For him, like in my mind, for him to say the color of complicity with racism is green, white, and red was a really nice handhold for me. I can now feel much more confident in how to explain our national history, and our church's history with complicity in racism. So it's been quite a journey. I don't know if you have any reflections on some of that. And I I think what we've been feeling is that this is a lot. Yes, all of us who've been here for almost all of those Sundays, and maybe what's been going on nationally or globally we can start to feel overwhelmed with events like El Paso and others. We can start to feel despair. We can start to feel just scattered or even some compassion fatigue. And I think a lot of churches typically shy away from addressing things that are happening 
in the news and, and all those current events because it can just feel like, wow, what's the direction? And it's a little bit scattered. But we here at Spark believe all of these things are connected. And we teach on them and address them because we believe that Christ is calling us to do so in this world. And we don't feel in any way that it's scattered or leaves us without grounding. In fact, we feel the opposite, that to speak to this does not require cognitive dissonance. To walk in here and pretend like everything's okay and walk back out and deal with the realities of of what happened in Gilroy just a couple weeks ago. Or what happened in El Paso just a couple weeks ago. Or what's happening continually on our border. Or to our friends in our community and family members in our community struggling with um, DACA situations or, or being undocumented or whatever it might be. We believe that the person of Jesus walks with those who are suffering and oppressed and calls us to do the same. And so it's because of this that we speak to it and address it and try to bring it to light. And we do so because doing so in community with all of us brings hope for us personally. We've joked for years that we planted a church that we wanted to attend. Um, and that's not really a joke. It's, it's actually what we did. <laughs> and we've done that because we need that as followers of Jesus in our community. We want to find a place and space and a people that will help us to follow Jesus and follow in Jesus' ways um, when, when all of the world is as it has been for some time. This is not new. Many of us are just becoming more aware of it. And so I think it's important for us to always get back to first principles. Whenever you engage with a variety of complexities in life, what are your fundamental first principles? That idea of first principles is the thing that you always come back to that grounds you in who you are and why it is that you do what you do. And hopefully you are not tired of this. We will be saying this over and over and over again. The reason why Spark Church exists and has existed ever since its inception is really one unified thing. We hope to inspire people to live the way of Jesus. Now, that means that if we're living in particular ways that are religious, we're living in ways that might happen to be traditional, but they are not necessarily in alignment with the way of Jesus, then we need to actually ask some hard questions about what that way actually is and whether or not we're deviating from that. How do you know about that? Well, you do study. You ask questions. You engage with history. You listen to diverse voices. And this, along with a lot of other thinking and spiritual and religious practices for us, is the way to understand. I need the voices of people who do not look like me and who are gendered different from I am. I need those voices in my life because they point to me, for me, another way of being a follower of Jesus that I do not know about. And their way of doing that inspires me to consider carefully how then I can live better and different and more committed to this particular way. And I just note that for those of you maybe who've been with us from the beginning or are just arriving, Spark is grounded not just in inspiring people to live in the way of Jesus, but we do that by focusing on these five core values that we see exemplified in the life of Jesus. And that first one is love that God so deeply loves us and that we are called to love God and to love one another and love even, yes, our enemies in return. 
that we believe we've been called to elevate the reputation of God in our community. And so we focus on study because we think how we understand who Jesus is changes how we live. And what we understand about him changes how we live. Um, And we work on reconciliation, whether it's multi-faith reconciliation or racial reconciliation and justice, or whether it's reconciliation between one another within a household or between us and God. And as, again, then we believe that God is God of rescue, who's rescued each one of us and calls us to be instruments of rescue in this world, and that resurrection, new life, and a new beginning is possible. In the very giant, huge way we talk about that in the person of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ, and also in the very small ways of believing that every single one of us has the chance to start again, to start new. In fact, our daughter is so drilled on this that she will regularly say to me, but mommy, God gives a thousand second chances, so you need to give me a thousand second chances as well. And that will, of course, be in some negotiation process. So, um, but yes, I'm super glad that that gets reflected back and forth over and over and over again, that she knows there's no end to the grace. There's no end to that mercy and the chance for new life and new beginning. And again, every single thing that we've talked about, whether again, we're talking about immigration and the border crisis or racial justice or whatever it is, all of those things can be found in each one of those values. That this is how we love God how we love one another, that God's reputation, Jesus's reputation depends on our actions on this issue because we are reflecting who Jesus is in this world, that reconciliation is that core value that Christ reconciled us to God. And so we are to be reconciled to one another and reconciliation and justice, racial justice cannot happen without our full knowledge and understanding of what is happening for our brother and sister in this world. And we then get to participate and ourselves be rescued as well in that process. And then we get to start to see new life come again into the world. So all of these things that we're doing aren't actually fragmented one-off. Oh, didn't your church just talk about LGBTQ plus issues a few months ago? And now you're talking about racial justice. And now you're talking about immigrants. And can't you just settle on one cause and hang out with one cause? Like, well, that would be nice. If Jesus could settle on one cause, that would be fantastic. But he typically cares about all of us. So we're going to have to continue to figure out how to lean into those economics and ethics of Jesus whenever we see someone being marginalized or oppressed. Well, I'd like to even push it a little bit further if I I can. We have had a conversation a couple years back. I think we did a series entitled I Have an Announcement, which was about the phrase, the good news, which is the gospel, which is another phrase that Christians use all the time to describe what our faith is about, the good news, the gospel, uh, which is just a Greek word to mean good news. So much of faith expression in our Americanized context has defined good news as an inner spiritual transformation, and it has much to do with my personal salvation and me going to heaven when I die, and that is what is the good news, and I've been transformed for that particular purpose and for that particular reason. And that's only, that is it only. And we want to declare, that's a good thing. I mean, that is taught in our history, in our tradition, and in our scriptures. The problem that we have is what Danielle exactly just said, is that when you distill it down to that only, and that becomes the expression, then you have, to take a, you have to take a pair of scissors and cut swaths, huge portions out of your Bible and out of our tradition to make that the only thing. 
I was having a conversation with somebody after the Jamar Tisby event, and we were talking about his talk, we were talking about um, his phrase, the decolonizing our theology, which was such an incredibly powerful phrase. And we were talking about how people who don't understand that racial justice is an extremely important aspect of our tradition have clearly not read the Torah and have not read the prophets and have not read even Jesus in the Gospels right. with his bridging across racial and ethnic lines. Or Paul. Or Paul. These are, they've not read the Bible. No, we're just joking. Maybe they've read the Bible. But. Well, they've read it, and I think part of the challenge that right. we are facing in our particular context is a kind of faith expression that elevates one particular segment, says that that is then it, and then ignores all of the rest of it, specifically passages from Isaiah and Luke chapter 4, where Jesus has come to preach good news to the poor, and Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus is most condemning of religious hypocrisy. One of the things that I love about Jesus, I mean, if you are tired of religious hypocrites, you would love Jesus because he rails most vehemently against people who tie up heavy religious loads, place them on other people, and he says, You do that, and you can't even carry that load yourself. You go out into the world, and you make converts to your faith and your religion, and you make them twice the sons and daughters of hell that you are. And so, for for me, the matching and the connection of my faith tradition— and by the way, this is all new for me, like new within the last seven years, maybe, uh, of Spark— My faith tradition taught me that faith was about my personal salvation, going to heaven, and then what do I do with the rest of my life? Don't sin so you don't screw it up, and just make sure you die loving Jesus, you know. um, That's kind of the summation. And recently, things such as racism, sexual identity, gender discrimination, we're going to be talking about climate change and um, the environment in a couple of weeks, uh, when we talk about the Green New Covenant, that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. These things are deeply woven into this way of Jesus. And when you read carefully our tradition and our history, you cannot separate my personal faith and salvation from everything else that is going on in the world. Economics, this whole series that we did, is deeply woven into, we hope that we have communicated that that's deeply woven into the way that Jesus expressed his faith, his teachings, and the vision for the kind of life. And Lauren's teaching and Pastor Paul's teaching and John Leotis and and Rolando's teaching were incredible insights into how the ways of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, inform their particular work that actually bring rescue and reconciliation to this world. And you have to do that by thinking about economics, that those two things always have to go together. So all of that for me is just, I cannot unsee this anymore. I used to be able to separate them very clearly. My spirituality, my faith is, is one thing. And then everything else, here's the key word, is political. And now for me, I can't see the separation of the two. <laughs> What we do economically affects how people live. And if Jesus has a vision for the flourishing of humanity so that all can be welcomed into the family and share together at the table, if that is Jesus' vision, well, then we better pay attention to what we're doing economically and not elevate 
oh, well, capitalism is clearly the best way. Now, I wonder, we can have a debate, right? That's also part of Spark. Let's have the debate. But to say, therefore, that American-style capitalism is equated with clearly what God ordained or wanted is not, in my, I'll say my, not our, my view, the way. You have to interrogate everything according to the ethics and the values of Jesus and then from that first principle, then start to interrogate how it actually works and to think carefully and critically and even imaginatively as to new, different, new and different ways for how this world could be imagined. So, I, I think one of the reasons why that's important is because we here in North America, America context, many of us live a life that is individualistic, Right? Um, my individualistic pursuit of happiness. And we live that, those terms, and we're, we're, that's not a bad thing. You should care about yourself. It's love your neighbor as yourself. That's all good. But in the ancient Near East and in the Bible Jesus read, right, which Philip Yancey has a great book about it, when we start reading about the, the Hebrew scriptures, those are not individualistic scriptures. They are written to a people, to a community, to a group. And the same is true in our New Testament as well. It is written to a people, to a community, to a group. It's all y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not you're a temple, you're a temple, you're a temple, you're a temple. That's how we like to read it in America because we all want our own really nice mansion, right? Uh, But that's not this text. The Greek is plural. All of us together... We are stones. These are the, this is the language that Peter uses and Paul uses. All of us together are stones that then build that house of God. And this is a communal text given to a community, which means that our faith needs to have communal implication as we live it out. Well, and based upon what you just said there, I want to say to every single one of you, you are my heroes. You show up, you serve, you participate. I get to hear the inklings of the conversations that you have with people that are that look a little cross-eyed at you sometimes as to what your church is doing, and you live into the way of Jesus in those conversations. Um, you participate, you care, you show up, you're present with one another. Um, one of the, I mean, two of the, I will mention, I think, later on, two of the most important insights that I think I remember getting were from Danielle and then from Audrey back there um, regarding how the law is to be considered in relationship and it was just transformative for me. And I, to know that we're having those conversations where we are all benefiting, please understand, Spark is you. You are Spark. We are together that community, that communal ethic. And when you share and when you're even, you know, having a Facebook or Twitter conversation, which, you know, Pastor Marcus says sometimes, like, I, I want to hit those people or whatever. Uh, whenever you're having those conversations, um, sorry, I shouldn't have called you out that um, you have the most productive conversations, actually. He, he does. Really... It's, it's incredible to That's watch. That's a ministry. That's a whole um, ministry I'm not called to. I feel deeply honored to be in relationship with you all because you're modeling that for me, and you are my heroes. And, and much of the journey that we've been on has been, been because of your influence. A lot of this stuff has been because you all have valued it, and you've brought it here. You've shaped us. You've shaped me. And I want to thank all of you for, for doing that and, and being and part of that. And your questions and your continued presence and your volunteering and your giving make it possible for last week this place to be packed out with a whole bunch of people that it was their first time ever at Spark because you guys create space and a community that can hold that event. 
that will call and say, we, we would like to have a very difficult conversation and a hopeful conversation where we deal with some realities regarding racial justice and our history that we need to own um, in the church and in this nation, and we want to be part of finding a new story there. And creating something. You guys do that, and we're so deeply grateful for that. Now, part of the reason why this uh, picture is up here is um, when Danielle and I were talking a little bit, one of the uh, critiques or questions that sometimes emerges is about Spark and the question of, so you're engaged with all these particular quote-unquote issues, and I don't, I don't even like to use that word sometimes, but for lack of better terminology, you're, you're engaged in all this... Gospel justice. Gospel, gospel justice, right. That's the term that we have decided to use, and I love that term. We've, we're engaged with all of that. And I know that some of you um, may be curious as to what that actually means. Aren't you a church, first and foremost, primarily, about Jesus and about you know, becoming disciples of Jesus and all of that particular kind of stuff? And the reason why this picture is up here is, is because we hope that we're communicating and conveying, yes, race, sexuality, sexual identity, gender, economics, all of that is deeply tied to the way of Jesus and that is deeply tied to the Bible that Jesus read. This way of living and thinking and processing and having faith goes all the way back to the beginning. It's a long history. And so we've been, since the beginning, going through Genesis, then Exodus, then Leviticus, then Numbers. We're now in the middle of Deuteronomy. And the reason for that is because this is where this tradition comes from. These stories that have been passed down to us, and if we can engage with their world, engage with what it is that meant, how these texts were meant to them, then we can pull forward all of these ethics, these values into our particular world to A, be true to the story that we've been telling for thousands of years. As best we can. As best as we can. And B, see that radical transformation that happened then can also happen again now. That's how I see it anyway, that when you read some of the historical stuff about what the ancient Israelites did in the Torah, in their teachings, in their laws, and we're going to point out some of those things today, you're going to be like, it was an amazing revolution in a human imagination for equality, for justice, all of the stuff that we're talking about today. And so if we can understand how they perceived and understood and revolutionized their imagination about who we are as people, then man, can we push that forward? Because I will tell you, I, I know many of you feel this way. Today, we need yet again, another transformation in how our global consciousness views and understands humanity for the redemption and the rescue of the world. I think that is desperately needed, and we we, this is our story that does that. And we find that in the way of Jesus. And I just want to note, um, I heard somebody recently say, um, is your church a gospel justice church or social justice church? And somebody said, that's like saying, do you sell books at a library? Right? Like, it's not possible to be a church, a Jesus-following church, without also being concerned about your brother and sister. That is part of the Jesus ethic. And when we go back, I think part of our challenge is for those of us who are either we've used the word deconstructing or Jamar Tisby's incredible framing of decolonizing our faith, trying to see Jesus fresh again. Part of the reason why we're doing that is because we find ourselves 
sitting in a time in history where other expressions of Christianity don't seem um, to be the ones we are finding our, our hearts drawn towards. We're like, that doesn't sound like Jesus to me. What do I do with that? But I still consider you, of course, brother and sister. So how do I figure that out? And you're reading the same gospel I'm reading, but we're coming at very different conclusions. What is happening? And we actually believe that one of the best ways we can understand the person of Jesus and understand the way of Jesus is to read the Bible Jesus read. And to try to understand, as Jesus has said, no one comes to the Father but through me. Not maybe only just talking about salvation to come, but talking about how we understand the Father right now. That we want to read the Bible Jesus read. Now that means we, in all of our, for the last seven years, we've, we've stopped along the way as we've been studying the Torah and, and gone into Jesus ethics or, or Luke. Or we've gone into parables. We've grabbed the Jesus teaching in the midst of all that too because it's all one and the same. But when we focus in on Deuteronomy, Jesus is quoting most frequently in the Gospels. Whenever we read Jesus, he's quoting text. He's most frequently quoting Isaiah, Deuteronomy, and Psalms. And some Leviticus, too. So for all of us who wish that we could just, you know, pick up our Bibles and just start with Matthew, I just want to let you know you're, you're reading the sequel, and you need to read the first one. Episode one, you have to get episode one first and you'll understand a larger story to come. Okay. So that's why we focus on these are the very words of God and God is speaking into our lives. And we want to know who Jesus worshiped and how Jesus understood the father. So what we'd like to do is share with you some brief thoughts and reflections. Um, We're going to ask the question, where have we been? So we're going to bounce around a little bit in Deuteronomy and share with you some big highlights um, that we see. There may be more, and if you see them, awesome, there share are with more. us. There are more. Um, yeah. Please uh, share with us. Um, so we want to start with a couple big things and share with you some passages and point out that everything that we've just been talking about is grounded in our tradition, grounded in these scriptures, grounded in a very, very ancient history that we are trying to live into and advance forward. So the first um, one here is Deuteronomy starts with Moses empowering leaders to judge fairly with concern for those most vulnerable. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 9. At that time, I said to you, I am unable by myself to bear you. This is Moses talking. This is Moses talking. The Lord your God has multiplied you so that today you are as numerous as the stars of the heavens. May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times more and bless you as he has promised you. But how can I bear the heavy burden of your disputes all by myself? Choose for each of your tribes, individuals who are wise, discerning, and reputable, to be your leaders. You answered me. The plan you have proposed is a good one. So I took the leaders of your tribes, wise and reputable individuals, and installed them as leaders over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officials throughout your tribes. I charged your judges at that time, Give the members of your community a fair hearing and judge rightly between one person and another, whether citizen or foreigner. You must not be partial in judging. Hear out the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. Any case that is too hard for you, bring to me, and I will hear it. This is amazing, right? I mean, it starts with Moses realizing that Not one person can do this. And then choosing to empower the community. 
And the, the Greek word used there for the Septuagint translation of our Hebrew scriptures is ekklesia, right? Choosing to empower the assembly that is before him to say, all right, we need people here who are leaders who have studied, who can judge rightly. And we're going to know they've judged rightly when they don't show, show partiality, they make sure that the poor are taken care of, and they are judging fairly. Right from the very beginning, we see that God wants to empower God's people to be the bearers of this type of justice in the world. We are to do it from the very beginning. Jesus will do similar calls. In fact, there's even some hints occasionally where he seems to be setting people down in groups of 50s and 10s and 100s, that that there's some echo there, that there's a new empowerment. And in Luke, when he sends out the 70 slash 72, that there is a new empowerment that is participating for go out, work out this faith of ours with fear and trembling, figure that out and work out how to judge fairly and justly. Be instruments of justice in your community. And I want you to imagine, I know it's going to be hard, imagine a culture that separates people by citizenship. Think about it. Imagine like by it. papers. Just pretend that it exists. That some people that have papers and are citizens are more valued than other people that don't. I just want you to imagine that for a second. Now imagine this particular phrase, that when you then are to gather your community and give them a fair hearing and judge rightly, you are not to separate whether or not they are a citizen or a foreigner, because every single human being is created in the image and the likeness of God. And you're going to see this theme over and over and over and over and over again, even into the Jesus story, where people who are separated because of particular constructs whether they be citizenship or social constructs or identity constructs, people who are separated in the culture are no longer separated in the body of Christ in this movement. Citizenship actually becomes a big theme within Paul's letters later on in the New Testament, hearkening all the way back to these stories. Do you you start to see why these stories are so important and how they inform our work. You start to understand that when Paul says, in Christ Jesus, there is neither male nor female, slave nor free, Scythian barbarian, Jew or Gentile, all are one. That is not something Paul made up. Paul is hearkening back to the ethics of Moses all the way back here in the book of Deuteronomy. Number two, Deuteronomy recognizes and celebrates the justice found in the covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5. See, just as the Lord my God has charged me, I now teach you statutes and ordinances for you to observe in the land that you are about to enter and occupy. You must observe them diligently, for this will show your wisdom and discernment to the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this is a great nation. This great nation is a wise and discerning people, which which I joked around with all of you saying, isn't that what they say about Christianity today? Surely these people are wise and discerning and wonderful, you know? For what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other great nation has statutes and ordinances as just as this entire law that I am setting before you today? This verse is so incredible because it's telling us that the thing that we'll be known for, that the Israelites will be known for as they enter into that land, is their justice. It's the fact that this this beautiful Torah, this beautiful law, these commands that God is giving are the ones that are just, that that's how people will know that there is a God amongst us, is because of the way we treat one another and how we live. 
And there is something about the whole reputation of God through us who live this way. How we live is an exemplification of how the world sees and understands the divine. For those of us who are covenanted with this amazing God, how we live this out and how we obey and conform our lives to these statutes, these laws. And, and again, statutes, laws, all these words, they need, they need reworking in our brains. But there's this beautiful sense of teaching and way of being in this world. Can you imagine what would happen in this world of Christians, the 2.4 some odd billion Christians in the world, actually live this particular way? That's the imagination. It reminds me of those sayings I used to hear all the time growing up, like, you might be the only Jesus someone ever meets, or you might be the only Bible somebody ever reads, right? That, that this type of witness has been expected of God's people since the beginning, that we can carry the presence of God into this world. Number three, Deuteronomy requires us to remember that we were once slaves in Egypt, and we must treat one another with kindness and fairness. It's, a, it's an identity question. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. Now listen to this list. You or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the foreigner in your towns, so that your male and female slaves may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. I mean, if, if we can't even talk about how God has asked us and, re- and given us the gift of one day off a week while also remembering that that day off is due to even the animal. How much more concern does God have for justice and the care of one another if he's built this into just the command? He didn't just say, hey, by the way, take one day off a week, just rest. Like, that's a gift already. Wow, how amazing. Because like, when you take one day off a week, you better make sure that everyone gets that. That God is concerned for everyone in the midst. This is actually going to lead into this uh, next one as well as some other ones. Deuteronomy reminds us that we are not being given this land because we are righteous. This is huge. That's right. But because of the wickedness of others, it is God's law that is righteous. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4. When the Lord your God thrusts them out before you, do not say to yourself, it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to occupy this land. Clearly, I am so great. It is rather because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you are going in to occupy their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations of the Lord your God is dispossessing them before you. In order to fulfill the promise that the Lord made on oath to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So now you, O Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. Although heaven and the heaven, although heaven and the heaven of heavens belongs to the Lord your God, the earth with all that it is in, in it, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your ancestors alone and chose you, their descendants, after them, out of all the peoples as it is today. 
For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, who loves the stranger, providing them food and clothing. Circumcise then the foreskin of your heart. Do not be stubborn any longer. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. Him alone you shall worship. To him you shall hold fast, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things that your own eyes have seen. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. One of the things that we think about when you hear the phrase, I have chosen you, and this, this passage reminds us, choosing you as God's people is not about you. Right. It's always been about the character of who this God is. You are not special. You are not great. In fact, later on in Deuteronomy, I chose you specifically because you weren't great. Specifically because you were a small peoples among the great nations. I chose you specifically because people would not be wowed and amazed at who you are. Chosenness, unfortunately, has been transformed into how special I am. And now I have rights and privileges, therefore, spiritually speaking, religiously speaking. In this passage, chosenness is about the character of who God is. It is about this is the kind of God that we worship and that has created this world. To look down to lowly people who are, for all practical purposes, ordinary, and I will choose you to covenant with you, to love you, and to create a whole new dynamic between humanity and divinity. And as a result, then, of you being that chosen people, we are asking, God is asking and commissioning us to then extend that same very love and grace into this world. That is the twist that we are trying to get back to. Not focused on ourselves, but focused on who God is. And if we can effectively emulate, understand, embrace that characteristic, then we can feel far more empowered and far more alive to live that way into this world for all the other people in this world who do not feel chosen, who feel neglected, who feel like they are a foreigner, who feel like they are on the outside, who feel like they have been marginalized. All of the stuff that we've been talking about is deeply woven into this idea of chosenness and ethic. I mean, this is who our God is. Right? This is the good hope. This is good news, isn't it? This great good news of the gospel that, that God is not partial, that God does not take a bribe, that, that God executes justice for the orphan and the widow and loves the strangers, providing them with food and clothing. And then God invites us to do the same. And in doing so, we worship and we praise. We find that those indeed are the ways of Jesus. And these are Jesus' economics. These are the ones that shape how Jesus is living into this world and how Jesus continues to call us to follow him. And following him is a giant life of imitating constantly, obedience constantly into the way of Jesus. They will know you are my disciples by your love. 
That's not just like a, we're really lovey to one another, we're really friendly. Love is an action word from the very beginning. And here we see again that God in love, and throughout the book of Deuteronomy, God, and with his covenant of love to us, loves us and calls us to love God and to love one another. And we get very specific instructions as to what that means. And we see that fully played out in the life and person of Jesus. Ultimately, doesn't this mean that we are all laying down our lives for one another? all considering others better than ourselves. And as we follow in the way of Jesus, it becomes very clear then what Jesus means when he says, whoever wants to follow me must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. That this is constantly about considering others better than ourselves, reaching out and finding a way to see more of Jesus's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. More of things being made right in this world because Jesus so loves us. Does anybody have any questions after all of that? And about any of the stuff that's happened in the last week, and just so you know, we might say, I don't know. <laughs> I'd be curious if you have any reflections. We've been through a, quite a bit and quite a, quite a long journey. We want to give you an opportunity to engage as well. Rajesh? Right, for sparkers, we're like, this is what we always do. (laughs) What are we even talking about? That's awesome. Why are we even talking about this? That's great. I don't know if that's true for everyone. I think many of us are on different parts of the journey. And as much as, um, at least I'll speak for, I think I speak for both of us, we are very interested and get really heady and, and interested in teaching, but we're also pastors. And our pastor's heart wanted to stop and make sure that after all of the beautiful but heavy things that have happened in our nation and, and the things we've been talking about for the last several weeks of our church, are we doing okay? Is it still grounded in the text? And is it still grounded in the life and person and the way of Jesus? So while we're launching back into Deuteronomy, it felt like we wanted to make sure there was a connection between racial justice and Deuteronomy, you know, and Jesus and all of that. That was why. Now, if that was unnecessary, then we've just pastored ourselves for the last four hours, for last hour, which is good. No, I mean, I, it can be a good reminder too. And I'm glad that for you, it feels congruent. And I hope that's true for many of us too. But I also want to hold space if it started to feel like I don't, I'm still new to Spark and I'm not sure, or I'm still decolonizing my faith and what happens or how do I understand this? Where do I go with it? Yeah. Yeah. I think I would simply add to that and then we'll get to your question, Linda. Um, you know, people need to be reminded much more than they need to be told. And part of the journey um, for us is, is to reground ourselves and remind ourselves. The other thing that I think popped up into our heads is uh, um, there are people that are finding us for the very first time and inquiring. And uh, I think part of what we wanted to also do is remind ourselves of the, the entire theological, the entire... Uh, idea of what led us to these particular things, and to give our people, all of you, uh, maybe some common grounding points. Here's why we study Deuteronomy, and here's why that leads to uh, racial complicity, right? There's, there's connections there, which may not be necessarily simple and easy and direct, and, and people who are just finding us. Um, and so there are people in this room who are brand new. There are people here visiting for the first time. Um, people found us through the Jamar Tisby event or other events that we've done. And um, while 
I am grateful, like, if they came and were blessed and they never come again, right, that's good work. We're, we're very thankful for that work. But if there's deeper questions like, why do you do what you do? We always want to remind ourselves of that, and we want to sh- have a common shared story for why we do what we do. And for us, it's grounded in the way of Jesus, which is grounded in the text and the tradition of Jesus. Um, I think a lot of people, we've joked, and we don't, we don't wear this as a badge of honor, but it's kind of a reality that we've had conversations with people who have, quote, written us off. You're, you're no longer Christians because you, you're engaged. You have gotten too political, right? This is a criticism I have personally had. And you're not grounded in the gospel. You're grounded in liberalism. I've, I've, like, people have specifically said this to me. Um, and so what I wanted to do is like, well, okay, whatever you call me, you, I can't help whatever you call me. Um, can I just share with you where I'm coming from? This is where I'm coming from. There's a huge long tradition starting all the way back to Genesis through Deuteronomy, through the way of Jesus, through the writings of Paul that lead up to our modern day. And and can I pull that through for you? And if you accept that or or reject that, that's totally up to you. Um, But in case anybody else is having that conversation, we wanted to share with you some reflections of how we've managed that. And it's not the only way. Again, the diversity of this community is so brilliant. There's people in this room that have left other communities um, on their own cognizance because you all have already done the hard work of wrestling with what really is faith and what is the way of Jesus, and you have added so much to this community. Um, So what we've just said is not the only way, um, and we hope that we're just simply adding to the diversity of conversation. Yeah, Linda. So let me repeat for everybody what you just said. All of what we just talked about is still grounded in the scriptures, and that there's a whole tradition of the scriptures that we carry around with us, that we honor, that we venerate, that we, some people uh, prop up with uh, different theologies, and it's all in there. My response is, for me, there's an entire way of being a follower of Jesus that, and here's how I'll put it, that was kept from me, that was hidden from me. And that I was told that if you went in that particular direction, you would be failing or you would be um, leaving leaving, or you would be a heretic. You would not be about the true gospel. And I've just come to realize that if I get back to this, uh, to the, the story and the narrative and to the person of Jesus, I realized that that was actually what he was talking about the entire time. And so I'm trying to follow after that. I mean, so I grew up in a home where I was told not to discuss politics or religion with strangers, and I became a pastor, and I majored in poli-sci, so, um, and I was involved in local politics for a while, so just because that my poor parents. So um, anyway, I, when we would first have these conversations, I remember my husband of nearly 21 years saying, but that's political, and I'd be saying, no. Like, Jesus is calling us to care about this thing. And he'd be like, well, Danielle gets a little bit political. And we'd have this kind of conversation. So some of what he has said today, I'm like, oh, like it's a, it, you know, we, we're all on this journey and we're shifting and moving. And, and I learned to be more quiet and that's helpful. So, um, so it's right. So not quiet, like in submission, but just, you know, we'll talk about the books of Paul later, but, uh, you, you need to learn to submit. It does say submit to each other. Right. Okay. Sorry. There we go. <laughs> so. Right. So in any event, one of the things that I watched last week was I thought, wow, this, this event's really powerful. And there's a whole bunch of people here I don't know, but I see spark in the midst of it. And I wanted to pastorally check in and just make sure that you guys knew how deeply grateful we were for the space that you hold and carry. And we wanted to make sure that you're doing okay. 
So as always, pastors here are available for coffee. And our, our little one is uh, starting kindergarten, so I'm going to need some things to fill my time um, so that I don't weep on a daily. I'm just joking. She's really excited for her, but it will be a big shift, and I'll have more time. So please, call me. Everybody who wants my cell and gets my cell, you can call. You can text me. You can find out where we can sit down and have coffee. We're here to wrestle. We're here for you to tell us that that was full of nonsense and that it wasn't helpful, but that you have another question or 12 other questions. Spark is actually, in spite of what felt like a big crowd last week, we're a nice, small, nimble, agile church on purpose. We want to be community together. We want to know one another. We want to hear your names. We want to hear your stories. We want to hear the questions. We all want to follow Jesus together. So continue to wrestle with us. And right now, we'd like to invite you to the table that is welcome and open for everyone. My benediction tonight is just very, very simple. Go and live the way of Jesus. Amen.